At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. At the end of forty days they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied at the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we had passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. You can set that right back there. Thank you, Tessa. That scripture reading that Tessa read from Numbers 13 and 14 is really a key moment in Israel's history. Um, Some of you are very familiar with that story and know that God had recently released his people from 400 years um, from Egypt and many of those hundreds of years in slavery. And God had revealed himself in a powerful way through so many different ways releasing them from the most powerful empire in the world. And in about a two-year journey from Egypt to this point, as Tesha read, in Kadesh, in the wilderness of Paran, now they were looking at the edge of the promised land that God had given to them generations before. And it's as if God's saying, and I just got to show you this, because you're really going to like it. This, this land that I prepared for you is, is going to be really good. You know, 
I married Nancy 30-some years ago, 31 specifically, and um, it was one of our first holidays. I forget if it was Christmas or my birthday or Father's, I, for one of them. Um, she went shopping for my gifts, and she got home and said, you want to see what I got you? And I thought, yes, I love this woman, such the heart of God. Right? As she's reflecting what God does, he gives us so many blessings. And here in the promised land, as he, he says, you want to see what I got you? Yeah? This is good. You're going to like this. This is designed specifically for you, specifically for the needs that you have. I've designed this for you. You want to see it? Okay. Then we'll take a, a guy from every household, one of the leaders from every tribe, 12 of them specifically. And I want you to go into the promised land and check this out because you're really going to like it. Milk, honey, two of your favorite things, right? An ancient description of prosperity. And then the 12 spies come back. You know the story. Tessa read it for us. They came back with similar reports, but various conclusions. They all reported that the land, yup, is good. The land is what we would want. But 10 of the spies report, and yet the people that possess the land are huge. Caleb stands and says, yeah, true, but we can do this. Let's go. And the others say, no, we can't. Let's not. And so you have this, this dialogue taking place between the 12 in the 12 spies, between the 10 who said, the land is good, the people are too big, and Caleb and Joshua who said, the land is good, we can do this. We have this dialogue. And in this conversation, we see really this bottom line. And kids, if you're filling out your, your note card, this is the bottom line. Adults, if you're looking for the bottom line to what this passage is saying, it's saying this. Our view of God determines how we live. Our view of God determines how we live. You view God as a powerful God, that will affect how you live. You view him as somewhat powerful, that will affect you. You view him as all-loving, or do you view him as sometimes loving, sometimes vengeful? Do you view him as holy, or do you view him as mostly good? Your view of God determines how you live. And that's what we'll see in this, in this story. First of all, a small view of God invites defeat in our life. When you view God as small, or let me put it this way, when you view Him as less than who He truly is, who He has revealed Himself to be, you open your life up to defeat and loss. Think for a moment with me of all that um, the Hebrew people would have experienced over the course of these last, say, three years. They just witnessed the most powerful empire of the world humbled to the point of their willingly giving the Hebrew people, former slaves, their riches and saying, please just, just go. We'll figure out how to build these pyramids ourselves. You just go. 
they witnessed all these deities in Egypt who received such devotion for the Egypt, from the Egyptian people. They saw all those deities shown to be nothing compared to Jehovah God. They saw a God who led them through the wilderness, through the, the pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. They, they watched the Red Sea divide so they could pass through it on dry land. They saw that when they become hungry, God has the power to rain bread while they slept. When they're thirsty, God has the power to split a rock and bring water from it. When trained militia comes out against them to defeat them, they saw a powerful God equip them to defend themselves adequately, having no military training. Time after time, God showed them who he was. He was tutoring them, in essence. So that when they came to the promised land, they would confidently enter it based on who they knew God was. But instead, what did they see? They saw giants. They saw obstacles and challenges. Were there giants? Yep, apparently. Were there obstacles? Sure there were. Challenges? Absolutely. But what did they focus on? They focused on them instead of the God that tutored them in who he was. So here's what I found. And as we see in, in chapter 14, we see when the mighty God is not your focus, when God becomes small in your sight, then you experience this, this road of danger. In, in verse 1 in chapter 14, if, you're, if you want to read Numbers 14, it says this, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. You know what happens when you have a small view of God? Because what's convinced you is the size of the challenges instead of the greatness of your God. You have got a challenge become more pronounced. Focus is not on God. In fact, Tessa to read the all all the verses in Numbers thirteen eighteen, but one one description of the giants. People people say all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Okay, there's some there's some comments there. There's there's some they say that all the people we saw are of great height. Historians tell us that that was not true. Were there, were there some giants in the land? There absolutely were. Were all of them giants? Absolutely not. And then it says, And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. Okay, so literally, you felt like a grasshopper? There's a little exaggeration there. And then it says, from the Nephilim. Genesis chapter 6 is a very intriguing I can't get my head but where it says that the, the sons of God came to the 
intermingled and their offspring were great and ferocious people. So these huge, literal giants, ferocious people grew roamed the face of the earth. And what happened in Genesis? Who was spared from the worldwide flood? Wasn't there Noah and his family? And that's it? It, it, it isn't the scriptural record completely clear in that? There's no Nephilim on the face of the earth by the time Moses and Joshua and Caleb come into this scene. There's no Nephilim. They were, they were destroyed in the flood. But when, you're, when your view of God becomes small, suddenly your obstacles become magnified. Have you noticed that? Those times when you don't know how this is all going to work out, suddenly what you know is true suddenly becomes like six times what it maybe truly is. Because your imagination, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that imagination of disaster begins to spin. And your problems become bigger. And then it says in verse 2, it says, Then all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and they said to one another, Let's get a different leader and go back to Egypt. This road of destruction begins with disaster, and it moves quickly to dissension. Now you start to grumble amongst one another. Have you ever noticed in your household when you start to get worried about things? How, is the, how are relationships about that time? Aren't they pretty pathetic? Don't you start nitpicking at one another don't you get grumpy and short-tempered and suddenly although the challenge is that suddenly she is the problem or he is the issue whereas really you're both in this together but now because you've allowed challenges to be more obvious in your mind than your god suddenly dissension starts to set in and then verse 21, the Lord says, So truly as I live, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs, but have put me to the test these ten times and not obeyed my voice, none of them will see the land that I swore to give to their father. Defeat settles in. Loss settles in when our view of God is small. When that happens, we underestimate what God can do. When our view of God is small, we underestimate what we can do as we follow God's leading. Do, do something silly with me. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is silly. Maybe it'll illustrate a point. Can you make a C with your fingers? Like this? All right. Now, now put that in front of your face between me and you. Right? And go ahead and measure me. How big would you say I am? Use those, use those fingers and, and measure me. All right, how big am I? About that big? All right, that's pretty puny. Well, watch what... Marie, keep, that, keep that measure tool up. Watch what happens here as I, as, I walk, as I walk towards you. Now keep measuring me. Am I getting bigger? Isn't that interesting? You say, well, no, you're not getting bigger. You're just getting closer. Well, that's what God had said to his people for these last three years. He says, I'm not some far off God. I am close. I am close to you. I am with you. In fact, when God revealed himself to Moses at that burning bush, he says, I've heard 
the, the cries of my people. I've seen their infliction, and I am coming to rescue them. If you were to read Exodus chapter chapter 7 and 8, you would see the plagues begin to come and how often God says, when he, when he says, I'm going to send this plague, then he says, so that you may know that, there, that I am among the people. Or so that you may know that there is a God of the Hebrews. Or so that you may know my name. He did all these things so that we knew that he wasn't far off in the distance. But he is close. What did he do at Mount Sinai? He said, Moses, come up here. I got something to tell you. You're my people. Here's what I want you, how it's how I want you to live. Now go down there and build a tent. Because you know what I want to do? I want to live with you. So build a tent. And then once it's done, I will come down. I'll be right in the center of the, of the people. So the tribes will be all around me. So they can look and see I'm close. I'm not far, I'm close. So that when it's time for the promised land, they would know that God is huge. How do you know he's huge? Because he's close. That night he was betrayed, and he said to his followers, it's good that I go to the Father. Because if I go... I will send you who? The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you always. I'll send my Spirit who will be with you always. And then he says, and the peace that the world cannot comprehend will be yours. Why? Because God is close. Because you have a true view of God. We have the view of Jesus Show us the Father, Lord, and it will satisfy us. And Jesus said to Thomas, I've been with you for three years. You still know the Father? If you know me, you know the Father. And then Jesus says, I will be with you forever because I will leave my spirit with you. He will always be close. A true, number two, a true view of God anticipates victory. A true view of God anticipates victory. Listen to Hebrews, or excuse me, um, Numbers 13.30. Caleb speaks. He quiets the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. How could he say this? Joshua joined in. 14.7, and says to all the congregation, the land which we pass through to spy it out, it is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. So do not fear. He doesn't say, dude, have you seen my new sword? We can take them. He doesn't say, have you counted how many millions of people there are of us? He doesn't say that. He says, if the Lord is with us, we have nothing to fear. When God is magnified, our challenges shrink. When our view of God is small, our challenges are magnified. 
So how we view God determines how we live. Four things that I just I saw as Caleb and Joshua responding to the challenge. First of all, I saw them focusing on God. The Lord has promised. The Lord is with us. The Lord delights in us. Their focus was on God. That's why, that's why I encourage believers today to have a regular time, a daily time in your life when you focus on Him. When you're in His Word, His truth speaks into your heart because I'm telling you, the world will speak other messages. There's other views of God that it will try to convince you of. So if you don't have that regular time being in His Word, your perspective will be all distorted. Secondly, they chose to live according to who He is and what He said. Our view of God determines how we live. When we see God for who He truly is, you, you can choose to live according to that. Trusting that His way is right, and so I'm going to follow it. Trusting that His strength is sufficient, so I'm going to go for it. Thirdly, they refused to compromise. When the people were looking back to Egypt, they remained, remained vigilant and diligent in their view of the future God had promised. And then, I love this last observation, they trusted God for His timing. All right, imagine this. Here's Caleb and Joshua, the two guys that didn't compromise, and then God says, okay, follow me, we're not... We're not going there. And if you were to read on into chapter 15, you'd see the people saying, oh, you know, we started, I, yeah, you know, we probably should go in. Let's go. So some of them actually went in to try to, try to possess the land where God says, I'm not going there because you didn't, you didn't trust me. So they tried to go without him. And they were slaughtered. Have you ever been there? When you really became for me, and it may take a compromise for me to get there, the end is right, the end game is right, so we'll kind of maneuver through this, and it's not really the path that God set, but I know the destination is. And the heartache that comes from that? When your view of God is true, his timing is always right. His timing is right. The Lord is not late. The Lord may not be according to our timetable, but His timing is always right. I think, it's, I think we should admit today that it's difficult to trust the Lord's timing. Can we admit that? It's difficult to trust the Lord's timing. I found that I tend to compromise and push past His, his path or veer off the path when I become convinced that my timing is right. So, so, I, and, and so I begin to do this in front of a mirror. And I begin to th think much of myself Right? And think that actually, I think I can outthink God on this one because I've got, you know, I've got 31 years of pastoral experience now. I think I've got this. Getting bigger. 
So here's the thing. Here's the thing, everybody. We will all experience our own Kadesh. Our own moment of time when we're veering into what we believe is the God's promised land for us and we wrestle with that dilemma of am I going to take it in my own strength or am I going to take it in the strength of God? How am I going to respond to this moment in time? Here's, here's some things I thought of as I, as I thought of this, of this situation. <laughs> Judah, you better go to your mama. Uh-huh. It's so hard. <laughs> I thought of Art and Tanya. When did you guys close on your house? How long ago was it? A few years ago. Do you remember that journey? <sighs> that was almost, that was months of time as they stepped into this experience where they just were convinced that this is what God had for them. And God just didn't finish the bridge. They're walking according to what they, they really believed God was leading them and they felt like there's more water here to cross and there's no more road. But then God provided. I think of Jerry. Jerry, it was so good to hear that this morning. What was it? Uh, four or five weeks ago, Jerry was let go from his job. And Jerry's one of Jerry's thoughts was, who wants a 60-year-old guy to start another position? How am I going to, how, how can I do that? In my line of work, with all that I know, with my wealth of experience in my field, but how can I go on now? And as we talked, Jerry, i got to admit, as we talked, the challenges that seem so big to you, they felt kind of big to me too. Even as you were describing them, and I was thinking of them and processing through that. But Jerry remained focused. I don't know, about 100% of the time. <laughs> but still focused. He was here. And that's why we gather. That's why we assemble. Because you've got to have that time where people can come around you and say, No, God's got this. God's bigger than this. He's done it before. He's going to do it with you too. And so Jerry's got a position that's going to be so much better than what was. It's going to breathe life to him. God's going to take care of him and meet his needs. And it's, we have ultimate confidence that this is God's good plan. I think of Thomas. Some of you, I don't know if you're tracking. Thomas was part of campus. Partner in Liberia, Kim Smith who's truly in pioneering work in the unreached people group in, in Liberia, lives in the bush. I mean, it's a very difficult time. Well, Thomas, a young man, just believed that God wanted him to spend time with Kim in the bush in Liberia. So he took a short-term mission trip to be with Kim. And then Corona hit. So there he is, away from his church family, away from his biological family, there in Liberia with no flights leaving the country. Imagine, months go by. Imagine the bad part. But he continued to claim a big view of God, believing that God's the one that moves us, and if he's not choosing to move me, he wants me here, so we'll continue to serve him. 
I thought of our experience here as a campus. I thought four years ago of the handful of you. Were there anybody here that was actually summer and early fall at Clay Township Park where you sat under the pavilion? Yep, there's five or six of you. That's where they did church. Just a little Bible study under the pavilion. Then it started to get cold. Started to get dark early. Started to think, okay, now what? So you started looking throughout the community. Where can we meet for worship? And nobody lets you in. No way. You're a cult. We don't want you here. Go home. <laughs> Talk about big challenges. Right, but God just places on this little group of veterans' heart that, hey, if we gave our lives for religious freedoms, we're not going to stand in the way. Sure, you can use our VFW hall to me for worship. So you did. You stepped into that. We're going to have kids' ministry. Well, we've got a bar. <laughs> they would like the cool lights from our lotto machine. There's so many colors and bottles on the wall. It's beautiful. So we said, okay, well, let's make the best of it, believing that God's got a plan. And then we saw that oh, this just isn't allowing us to live out our vision and our, our mission as a church. Let's check out this spot just two doors down. This IGA spot. Used to be Goodwill, IGA. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. And it looks so good. Our, you were part of that. We were looking for ways to make that happen. And God... The school... Use the auditorium. And open a heart. And then, and then, then Corona hits. We can't be there. Well, where can we? Happens to own this co-working site. Well, maybe let's do it. Let's see what God does. So here we are. What's next? I don't know exactly, but I truly believe that God is close. And he's big. And there's nothing to fear. So I don't know what challenges you have. Maybe it's an employment thing. Maybe it's extended family issues. Maybe it's in your household. Maybe you're dealing with some deep life choices and you're not exactly sure how to navigate through them. Can I assure you that your God is big and he is close and he is right and he can be trusted and as you cling to Him, as you focus on Him, I assure you that His path will lead to good. When? I'm not exactly sure. I just know that His timing is right. He's been doing this for His people for 2,000 years. And you're probably not so special that He would fail this time. Will there be some pain and difficulties? Probably so. Again, you're not so special that you'd be able to navigate through this life where Jesus said, in this world you will have much trouble. So don't think you'll be an exception to that. There will be trouble. But there is a God who's bigger. Because he says, because I've overcome the world. So I've overcome any trouble that you will, you will face. And you'll find that I'm good. And that we're together. So draw near. Draw near to me with full assurance of faith. If you maintain a true view of God, your life will be different. 
You walk with confidence. You walk with love and kindness and patience. You'll seek to reconcile when there's division. You'll be generous when there's opportunity because that's who God is. Or if a view of God is small, challenges will be looming. In fact, those giants in your life will turn into Nephilim. No, it doesn't make sense. That's just what happens. That's the spiral when your view of God is small. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. You didn't have to. You would still be God. You would still be good if you were a God hidden in the heavenlies and working mysteriously amongst the affairs of man. But Lord, you have spoken, spoken to us through your word. You've spoken to us through situations and circumstances and through history. You've given us your Holy Spirit that will teach us your truth. So Lord, you have revealed yourself to us, which is an act of grace and mercy. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with confidence and with faith, believing in who you are. That we wouldn't look at our own abilities or lack thereof. We wouldn't look at the challenges or even our successes. Instead, Lord, our eyes would be focused on you, believing that you truly are the pioneer of our faith. We would look to Jesus, the author and it's the finisher of our faith. Courageously. We love you, Father. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you're going to do in our hearts. For those challenges that we are facing immediately now, Lord, we just give them to you. I pray you you change our focus so that it is on you and we're looking at our challenges through you. Lord, we love you. We need you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.